turn in your Bible uh, this evening to Acts chapter 9, and you can also follow along on the screen. There are Bibles in front of you as well. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time, we'll look at Acts chapter 9. We're going to be reading, looking at verses 11 through 20. Acts chapter 9, verses 11 through 20. I'll read as you follow along, Acts chapter 9, verse 11 through 20. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is, chosen, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hast sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Let's on that thought tonight, and I realize, uh, uh, you know, the time, and, and, and a couple people have told me that there's a basketball game on tonight, the Portland Trailblazers, and a playoff game, and I might be DVRing it, so don't tell me anything, and uh, Andrew's probably keeping track back there anyway. If I were a betting man, I would, I would say that he probably is. But uh, maybe he's not alone. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's good to be in the Lord's house. And so God said to the Apostle Paul, there's a place I want you to go. And so God is looking for that kind of a house to send the Apostle Paul. And let's pray. We're going to jump right in. Lord, we do thank you for your uh, help and favor. And God, we're asking for that again. We pray, <coughs> Lord, that you would guide and direct our words and our thoughts in the few moments that we have. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us and, and God, you'd bring conviction and instruction. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us uh, where we need help and uh, speak to our hearts as only you can. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of things that we would look for in a house. We, uh, my wife and I, in, in our family for the last few months, uh, we have been looking at various houses, as you, as many of you know, and uh, of course we we look for a lot of things. You look for how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, uh, what's the neighborhood like, and a lot of people look for different things. They look uh, what's the school system like, what are the taxes, and so many different things that you look at when you're c- contemplating getting a place to live. Those are all important things, and not to be diminished in any way. But that's not what God was looking for. God was looking for something uh, far more significant and far more important when he sent Paul to this house. So I remember my, my wife and I, we used to always say this because sometimes and we, when we lived in L.A., 
there were there were a couple occasions when we drove to uh, different areas that were just a little bit outside of our our uh, range of reach. And I remember driving through Bel Air one time, and uh, that that's kind of a a little higher area if you if you don't know if you've ever never been there. Um, we had been down there on uh, Rodeo Drive. Some people call it Rodeo, but we were on Rodeo Drive, and. Uh, there was a realtor in our church, and he had taken us out to eat, and he was very successful in, in his region, his area that he specialized in was uh, Beverly Hills. And so we're, we're driving down in his, uh, in his Mercedes, and we stop at this restaurant, and he's greeting everybody on Rodeo Drive, and they, they all know who he is. And, and um, he takes us by some of the houses of some of the celebrities, and, and I remember one of them was a, a very well-known entertainer. Um, I won't say her name, but her other half was Sonny. And uh, so we, we went into that house, and it was sprawling. It was unbelievable. It was on the market at that time. Uh, we put in an offer, and it wasn't taken. But, um, you know, I, for some reason, the Christian school teacher's salary didn't cut it. But um, we were looking at that thing, and it was unbelievable. I mean, just unreal. And you, uh, so my wife and I, sometimes we drive around those places, and we'd always say this, we look, oh, look at that house, look at that house. And they, but we'd always say this to each other, but are they happy? Because, you know, and, and so it's just kind of our way of saying, we're okay where we're at, right? And maybe, maybe none of you have any idea what I'm talking about. You think, man, you're weird. That's okay. Um, but uh, so you see those things, and you think, man, that is really, really something. But those are not the things that God looks for in a home. And with the Lord's help, I want to I share just a few things um, that I think God was looking for, at least were evidenced in this particular uh, home when God looks for a house. The first thing we see is that it was indeed a house of prayer. We'll pull these verses up on the screen uh, for you, uh, if we could here. Notice verse number 11 of the same passage. So if you have your Bibles open, you keep, keep it uh, right open to chapter number 9. Every verse that we're going to look at here in this uh, real quick study here tonight is based on this particular story. The Bible says, the Lord, uh, And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go in the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And so the first thing we notice about this place is it was a house where prayer was welcome. Um, your house ought to be a place where people pray. People aren't afraid to pray. People are accustomed to pray. We always pray, but most of the time, uh, the average person uh, will pray. Uh, will pray out of a simple, sometimes the routine or uh, the the rut, if you will, and we'll pray over a meal. And you should. But if that's the extent of our prayer, there's probably not a whole lot put into that type of praying. We'll pray when we're up against it. We'll pray when we get bad news. We'll pray when something comes that is bigger, bigger than us. Um, and uh, everybody has a storm that is bigger than you. Everybody has trouble that is bigger than they are. And there'll come those times and those moments and those seasons where you feel like, man, I need God today. Well, you needed Him yesterday. You, we, we don't just need Him uh, when the storm is coming. We need Him when the sky is calm. We, we don't just need him when there's bad news from the doctor. We need him when the doctor says, everything looks great. Uh, we don't just need him when uh, we don't have the money to pay the bills, and we wonder, where is our next meal coming from? Are we going to be able to pay the rent, or what choice are we going to make? You, you need him when there's a clear ledger in your checking account. 
And one of the great mistakes that we make as God's people is that we stand back and we go to God in times of distress. We go to God when, uh, when, when things are against us. And God wants to be in all of our thoughts. He doesn't want to be somebody... Uh, can, can you imagine the type of relationship from a physical perspective if you, as a parent, had a child you never heard from until they needed something? Sometimes people will make a statement, well, it's so-and-so, they must need something. And I've heard people say that before. I, I've stood around and, I, and, and heard someone make that comment about someone. But let me ask you this. Can you imagine if God the Father had that type of response? Would he be justified in so saying about you or me? Oh, it's Stuart. He must need something. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go when we have a need because the Bible says, ask and it shall be given unto you. But I do not believe that God, our Father, wants us to have a relationship that only seeks Him in times of trouble. He doesn't want us to be the the type of individual that comes on those rare occasions. I think many times the average Christian would, would be content to say, Lord, thank you for saving me. I realize I have no hope beyond that. I realize there's no promise of eternity apart from trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. And for that reason, I call upon Him, and I ask Him to come into my heart, and I ask Him to save me. And and that's clear. I know that I can't get out of this life alive. I can't make it to heaven apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nobody argues that. Everybody understands that. But I believe that many times the average Christian would do well and be content if they would trust Christ as their Savior, and then in so many words say, now, Lord, I'll take it from here. You never say that to God. He's your Father. He's our Savior. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. And He is someone that we need all the time. But I think many times we'd say, if I need you, I'll call you. If I get into a spot, I'll call out your name. If I get in deep trouble and it looks like there's no hope and there's no way out, In that moment, I'll beseech God. But that's not how God wants to be used. It's not how God wants to be viewed. It's not the relationship that God wishes to have with his children. No parent wants a child that calls them only when they need bailed out of jail. No parent only wants a child to call them when they can't pay their bills. They want a child that calls them when things are just fine. Come on now, you're quiet tonight, but you know I'm telling the truth. I, I don't want to hear from my children only when, hey, uh, I got this problem. I need this help. I need to... Now, I want them to call me then. I may not always be able to do anything about it, but I want them to know that I'll listen. And then I'll say, here's your mother. Um, just seeing if you're awake. But, but I, I don't want to have the relationship that never hears from them. Can you imagine the relationship between a child and a parent, a mother or a father, if they never speak, if they never talk to them, if they never communicate. But there will be a time in your life, and boy, I was thinking about it especially this week, uh, we, were, we were looking for Mother's Day cards. And I know a lot of you have been through this before, but I, I was down the aisle with my, my wife and I said, this is the first time I've not bought one. Uh, as far back as I can remember, always buying Mother's Day cards. And uh, so, so I wish I could... I wish I could pick up the phone next Sunday and call my mom, as I did every Mother's Day for as long as I can remember when. Uh, But I don't have that opportunity. 
And many of you do. And young people, listen to me. When you have those opportunities, don't let them uh, waste away. Uh, Whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day or birthdays or anniversaries, don't think, oh, I'll have another time. I'll have another opportunity. No, there's no guarantee. There's no promise of that. And so uh, he says, Paul, I'm going to tell you the house I want you to go to. And the first uh, signifying mark of that place is that people were praying there. Would prayer be a foreign commodity in your house? It's just a simple question. I don't mean it to, I'm not indicting anyone. I'm simply speaking based on the authority of the Scripture here. And the house that God chose for the Apostle Paul saw immediately after his conversion. Let, let Let me ask you this. In fact, I'll just put it this way. Would God have chosen my house for Saul? What if I lived right there on the street called straight? Would he have said, go see Stu? Or would he have passed him and said, no, there's somebody else, this guy's house. He's the one I want you to go to. Now, I realize there's a lot of reasons, and I can't begin to be uh, go into what the mind of God might have been about that. But I know there are some things we see, some things that pop out in this passage as to why he might have chosen that. And I believe one of the reasons is it was a place where prayer was found. Prayer was heard. Sometimes we, we are content, as I was saying a moment ago, to go through life. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll call you when I need you. Nobody would ever express that. Nobody would ever say it that way. But sometimes we treat God that way. We should always have an open line, an open path of communication with God. And by the way, uh, sometimes that, that uh, opportunity to prayer is strained because of our relationship. I remember one time when I was, uh, I, I remember it so vividly. And I was in my teen years, and I was going through a rough patch. I don't know what it is about the teen years, but teen years, you think you know everything. And then now you get to a point in life, and you realize how dumb you really were and how brilliant your parents were. And, uh, boy, I, but, but, I, but I was a smart aleck with my dad one time. And, uh, boy, I, I, wish, I wish, you know, I'm saying it, and I'm hating it, but, I, but that was me. I went through a window like that, and uh, probably my dad should have thrown me through a window like that. But I went through a season— Boy, you tough crowd tonight. But I went through a season like that with my father. And um, I remember a particular instance where I wanted to do something, and my relationship with my dad was in such a way that I was afraid to ask because I knew there was that strain that existed between us. And so I never did ask. And the time came and went, and a week or two went by, and my dad said, why didn't you ask? And I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but, but uh, I do remember my dad saying, all you had to do was ask. And I remember thinking in my heart, yeah, but I, was, uh, I had not yet made things right with you. And I, and I did. I, I came and apologized to him, and I hugged him and, and said, Dad, I'm sorry. You'll never hear anything like that from me again, and please forgive me. I remember hugging him, and, man, I was crying, and I, I, was, uh, I was probably uh, five or six inches taller than my dad. And so I've got my arm around him, and I'm crying and hugging him and kissing him. And by the way, don't ever be ashamed to do that. Come on now. Don't, don't, don't ever get too big to do that. You young people might think that, that's funny, that's silly. I'll tell you, you, you're never too big for that. Don't ever get too big for that. But uh, I knew that the relationship was strained, and because of that, I didn't have the opportunity to request from my father the things that I needed. So what do we see? We see, first of all, this house uh, that, that God looked for. When God looked for a house, He looked for a house of prayer. Then secondly, uh, notice this, if you would, in the 12th verse. And he hath seen in a vision. 
Now this, of course, uh, let, let me connect the two verses. Verse 11, the Lord said unto him, Arise, go in the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And let's continue with the next verse. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. The second thing is it, it, it was a house of promise. You see, he was blind, and boy, one of the great lessons there in Acts chapter number 9 is the Bible says he was at, without sight for three days. But he'd seen in a vision, God had told him, hey, it's coming back. You're going to see again. And so that is a house of promise because while he was there, he understood it doesn't matter how dark things are right now, the light's getting ready to come on. And sometimes in life, it's important for us to understand that your home ought to be a place of promise. It ought to be a place where people look towards the future. People in the, you know, many times in our homes, in our culture, people walk around on eggshells, not sure if they can say anything, not sure what kind of response they're going to get, not, not sure whether it's a place uh, where they can have a, ho- uh, a, a, a promise about things. But God said about this place, here's the, the Apostle Paul, using it interchangeably here, of course, he's Saul right here, Saul of Tarsus, and he's, he's praying and he's seeing something that is about to happen. I'd never want to go through life thinking this is the best it's ever going to be. I'd always want to have a promise. Now, we have a lot of promises. The Bible tells us that God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. There's no question about that. Now, the first one, if you you asked me to list them, probably I'd start right at the top, and that's heaven. And if that's all you got, that's pretty good. That's a great promise. You know, we sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And that is a great promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us the promise to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He gives us the promise, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Those are all great promises from God. We, sometimes those are the things that get you, get you going through life. Uh, sometimes it's a promise, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. That's a great promise. I don't want to go through life thinking, man, have I got anything that I can look forward to? Is there any promise? It, you, we live in a culture that is filled with uh, concern and, and worry about uh, this and about uh, what the guy over in North Korea is launching and what's, uh, what, what's happening in our, in our halls of Congress and all the bickering back and forth and, and what's going to happen with uh, uh, this and in our economy or this and that. And, and we're always stressed. But we got a whole lot of promises You know, it's a song we sing, but sometimes we don't practice it, standing on the promises. You know, because there are a bunch of them in the Bible. And it doesn't mean, you know, you know, uh, um, Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. So there there is a song based almost directly a, a quote from that passage of Scripture. And so just because it might uh, look a little dark right now. Remember this, joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night. Uh, and the Lord gives us so many promises. And so here's Paul. He's in this house. He, it's a house of prayer, but also a house of promise. And I would always want it to be said that my home was a house of promise. Would God have picked my house? I don't know. I, I would think that uh, I would fall short in this. But I would sure like to think I, I, I would definitely try. 
what's our home like tonight? When God looks for a house, he's not interested in how many bedrooms you got. What's your square footage? He doesn't care. He's not interested whether you've got uh, hand-scraped hardwood or whether you've got vinyl from the 60s or shag from the 70s. You know, and I can remember growing up, we had shag carpet and paneling. Man, that was, that was the day, you know. And some of you think, Pastor, don't say anything. That's still what we have. Hey, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I'll bring my platform shoes over to your house the next time, and we'll just fit right in. I don't still have those, by the way. Um, I'm not even sure they make them as cool as I had them when I had them. But, uh, man, uh, you know, so God is not interested in that. What's your square footage? What do, you, what do you have this? Or where do you live? What's your street address? What's your zip code? And all these different kinds of things. I, I think what God would look for, can I pray there? Would it be okay to pray there? Would it be a place where promises were given, promises were expected, and promises were kept? And so when God looks for a house, we see a house of prayer, we see a house of promise. And then may I say this uh, thirdly, in verse number 15, just a few verses past where we were, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me uh, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The third thought is this, when God looks for a house, he looks for a house of protection, Uh, protection. Now keep in mind, when Saul became a Christian, Everybody was terrified of him, every Christian. Uh, they, they did not trust him. They were skeptical. They were leery. They knew what he was like. They knew everything about him. And by the way, sometimes you, you and I, even in our lives, will, will struggle maybe with our past. And we'll think, uh, by the way, don't ever, you can't outrun your past, but God can remove it. You don't have to worry about, well, is my past going to catch up with me? The Bible gives plenty of examples in Scripture. Rahab, everybody still remembered her as, as what she was, except God. And so many times, you know, we look at Peter. Peter, uh, the night uh, when he uh, goes out and denies Christ so much to the point that he, that he curses God. Uh, but uh, in, in short order, God's using him at Pentecost. But a house of protection for Saul here, the keeper of the house, the owner of the house, he's terrified. Uh, Paul's coming here. Saul's coming here. Saul of Tarsus, he's coming to our house. I don't want to receive him. I don't want him in my house. In fact, now that I know he's coming to my house, I'm going to, I'm going to head out the back door. I don't want anything to do with him. Why? Because I have heard what this guy's like. I know what he's like. I know what his past is. I know how he's treated Christians. I know how he's, uh, you know, imprisoned them, how he's been there when, when some have uh, been put to death. We know that he was there when Stephen was stoned. The Bible tells us there was a young man named Saul who was there holding the coat of them while they were stoning Stephen. Picture that entire scene. I think that's one of the things that Paul would later tell us about. I, I'm still trying to forget that progressive tense verb, forgetting those things which are behind. And so here he is right now, and he's about to show up at your house, but everything you know about, can you imagine that? Everything you know about this guy is he's out to kill you. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, there's a game change. Everything has changed, and he has trusted Christ, and his life has been turned so dramatically, just like that, on a dime. And so here, we find that it's a house of protection. In other words, you've got to trust God. We worry, and we fret, and we get so anxious about things, and we wonder, is God going to look out for me? David said, I've been young and I'm old and have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. I don't know how everything's going to turn out. I don't know what troubles or problems you're going to have in life, but I know this, God's not bailing on you. I know this, if you're a child of God, I, I can't tell you. You say, Pastor, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? I can't tell you that. 
But I know this, God, God has never forsaken his own. He made the promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. People get uh, disappointed a lot of times by people in their life, but never by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's never been anybody that could say, God sure let me down. Boy, Jesus Christ, he disappointed me. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody ever will. Nobody ever could. Because he does not do that. He doesn't disappoint. He doesn't uh, betray. And he doesn't leave us hanging. Whatever you're facing in life, understand this. God's got this. Now, by the way, sometimes people think that's a blanket and it means I'm never going to have a problem. John the Baptist was beheaded in prison. But God didn't bail on John the Baptist. Now, it was a powerful powerful example of what God allowed to happen and how God's grace was sufficient. I mean, it's unbelievable. There wasn't anybody like Job, and it's a marvel to me, everything that happened in Job's life. But it was at that moment when God let the guard down, if you will, the hedge, if you will, and all of a sudden, the the devil ran wild in his life. He lost everything, his possessions, his health, the affinity and affection of his spouse, and all of that in one day. God doesn't owe us anything, but God doesn't bail on us. He took an old preacher named Daniel and put him in the, uh, a den of lions. And, you, you know, I, I realize that God spared him, but what if he didn't? He's still God. I realize that he allowed Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their, their Babylonian names, and I, I realize that he allowed those three young men to be thrown in the fiery furnace. But what if they'd been consumed? It's a great story that they were delivered. And I say story tongue-in-cheek. We know it's real. But, but what if God had not delivered them from the fiery furnace? Now we know he did. But what if he didn't? And so sometimes we think, well, if God does not come through for me, then that must mean that either I'm away from God or I can't trust God or I can't depend on him. Well, yes, you can Because each and every time for a child of God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find people going through unbelievable suffering. Remember the 11 disciples. Uh, Of course, um, Judas, by transgression, fell. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, Matthias taking his place. But we know this. They went and preached, and unbelievable, unspeakable things happened to them. John was dipped in hot oil. Thomas was preaching in India and was caught and and speared and, and basically filleted. It's unbelievable the hurt that God's people have gone through. I mean, we can tell you story after story of the martyrs of the faith. Fox's Book of Martyr, it Martyrs is filled. Well, I, I've got a book uh, in my office now called Last Words of Saints and Sinners. I think it's by, by Lockyer. But, but it talks about some of the people as they have perished for their faith. Unbelievable stories. So what we sometimes misinterpret is that, well, since I'm a child of God, then God is going to deliver me from everything. Well, he's going to deliver you from sin, the power and the presence and the penalty of it. But it doesn't mean you're not going to get sick. And it doesn't mean you're going to have times when you wonder if you can make it through the end of the month. But all of that is because God says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I remember we lived in... uh, uh, Los Angeles, and we, we had a two-bedroom, two-bedroom or three-bedroom, the townhome there. I was trying to two-bedroom. And uh, I can remember putting Amanda, she was, she was our, uh, our oldest, and at that time she would have probably been, I don't know, two or three, something like that. And I remember putting it on her kitchen counter, and I'd get her to jump off. And uh, it was all fun and games until I moved once. But no, I, 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 thank you, Lauren. And so I'd tell her to jump, and she would stand right there on the edge 
and be so, you know, just unsure. But I wanted her to know she could trust me. And so I'd say, jump. And, and, and she'd look around, and, and she'd watch, and I'd say, come on, jump. And, uh, uh, so I, and I would catch her, except that one time. And after that, we never played that game again. No, I'm kidding. But uh, so I'd tell her to jump. And all I was teaching her was, hey, Dad will take care of you. Now, the significance of that is, in the Christian life, a lot of times the Lord says, step. Step out on faith. And he'll put something in your life, you think, really? And it can be something very simple. It can be, pick up a track on your way out tonight, because tomorrow God's going to put somebody across your path who needs that. And so you're going to have it in your pocket, and there's going to be that guy, and you're going to see him when you're walking into the store, God's going to say, give it to him. He doesn't look like he wants it. You know, he'll get mad at me. You know, and and we start making all the excuses. And what that is a lot of times, it's, do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's taking that step. And so we understand that it was a a place of prayer and a, a house of promise, but it was also a house of protection because God has you. Do you realize that nothing can ever happen to you without God allowing it. There's a lot of times we, you may have questions, and, and, and I, I would be critical of you for having them. I've wondered many times over the years why, why God allowed Rebecca to get cancer. I know that people have come to Christ as a result of it. And I don't try to, it's not like I'm blaming God, but there's a lot of things I don't know. That's an understatement. There's a lot of things that I want to ask about. I, you know, I, I, I've had dear, dear Christians and preachers and preachers' wives, and, and sometimes, and probably you never this way, but sometimes in my mind, they're taken prematurely. And I'm thinking, by the way, God never takes anybody prematurely. It's always His time. He holds the keys to life and death. It's not like we didn't see that one coming with God. But sometimes I've wanted to ask a question. My wife had a very dear friend when we were in California and who got cancer and, and didn't recover, and it took her very quickly. And I've, I've thought many times over the years, why her? I've thought, maybe you've never thought this, but I've thought, well, there's a whole lot of other people worse off. There's a whole lot of other mean people. I know none of you have ever thought such a thing. Why didn't you take that guy? Come on, you, some of you are looking at me like, as a pastor, I can't believe you've said that. Has anybody, I'm being honest here, I'm being real. Has anybody here ever thought that? I have. What about her? She, she was a Sunday school teacher. Why her? What about that person? He was, he was a missionary. He was on his first month on, on the field, and he's driving with his family, and a bullet, just stray bullet, hits him. And then they're home now, and his wife is stricken with cancer and is terminal. And they have eight children. Yeah, I got a question about that. But, you know, who are we to question God? It's like the pot that asks the potter and say, why are you doing this with this clay? And God doesn't owe us an answer, by the way. But he just simply says, trust me. I believe with all of my heart that when we get to heaven, a lot of stuff that we've sat there and scratched our heads about and wondered, God, what are you doing here? When we get to heaven, you're going to say, oh, I didn't see how that fit together. The whole Romans eight twenty eight thing, sometimes we twist that for us. 
the verse says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But everything in there is plural. None of it's singular. It doesn't say all things work together for good for me. It doesn't say that, but sometimes people will quote Romans 8, 28, still in the book. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that everything's going to work together for your good. It means that everything's going to work together for the big picture because God's a big picture God. God doesn't look, we look, for instance, you know whose life I look at first? Me. Oh, come on, be honest. Some of you, Pastor, you're being too transparent tonight. I look at me. I look at my wife. I look at my children. I look at our family. I look at our grandchildren, and I look right there. And sometimes in our lives, that's where we get our focus. And so we say, well, Romans 8, 28, God's, it's still in the book, and it is. But it doesn't mean that everything that happens is going to work out for my good, because that's not what that verse says. It says God has, for instance, you couldn't look at Job and say, Job, this is for your good. Nobody would have ever said, Job, this is the best thing for you that's ever happened. But a lot of us in the thousand years since then have drawn strength and courage and patience, if you will, from Job's suffering. There are many people that have gone through unbelievable things and they've taken a page, figuratively speaking, out of the Bible and said, Job, hast thou considered my servant Job? And probably some of us have known and learned of and read of certain people in life that would be modern day Job's, if you will, who've gone through unbelievable things. But God's not saying that everything that ever happens in your life, I'm going to remove all the bad. It's like going to a doctor, and you've got to get shots. And I don't like shots. In fact, the last time I was at the doctor, they asked if I had any allergies, and I said, yes, needles. I tell them that all the time. I'm allergic to them. And they said, what do you mean? I just don't like them. I have a reaction to them every time I see them. And it doesn't matter. You know, they, they... Whatever they're giving you an injection, you know, and they, they squirt that stuff and it shoots out the top. And I'm thinking, was I supposed to get that or what's the deal here? I know they're taking air bubbles out and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, so thanks. Remove all the air bubbles. And you nurses out here tell me, come on, pastor. But, but then I see that needle coming. Sometimes if I'm giving blood, they ask me, do you want to watch? Yes, I want to watch. I always watch. I don't, I don't look away. I, I, I always watch. I want to see it. And so they're going like this, you know, and I've always got booger veins. They can't find them anywhere. You know, they got to dig and dig for them. Some of you have no idea what I just said there, and I'm not even sure what I said. But anyway, and so they're looking around and, and trying to find it, and then they're, they're, they're poking, and I'm thinking, please find it. And uh, I'm sorry I missed that one. i got to try again. And I'm thinking, this isn't pin the tail on the donkey lady. This is my arm we're dealing with here. You know, and she goes, I'm sorry. Let's try the other arm. And then all of a sudden, you start hemorrhaging. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, so they, they come over to the other arm. And, you know, I, but I watch every time that happens. But it's not pleasant. It's not like, can I come back tomorrow? That was fun. I don't, I don't enjoy that. But sometimes in life, we look at what God is sending our way, and we forget God says, hey, I'm taking care of you. I have never let one of my children down. Now, they've gone through deep waters. If you don't believe that, read Hebrews 13 tonight when you get home. Uh, torn asunder. Sawn asunder. I mean, wandered about in caves. I mean, it's unbelievable what God's people have gone through. But never one time have any of us, any of us ever been able to say, I have been forsaken and abandoned by God. You know why? Because God always looks for a house of protection for his children. Because he, get, because he cares. Because he loves. And so this house that he looked for 
for the Apostle Paul, he looked for a house of prayer, a house of promise, and a house of protection. What kind of house do you have? Is it the kind of house that God wants? Is it the kind of house that God wants us to have? Is it the kind of house that God would look for for his children? Because if it's not, then well it should be. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Very, very quickly in way of invitation, if, if God's spoken to your heart tonight, we always know it's not like we have to beat around the bush. And if God wants you to respond, then you ought to. God never wastes his breath. And the Spirit never wastes his time moving where he doesn't want movement to follow. And if God has spoken to you, then I would encourage you to come. Lord bless our time of invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name. As the piano plays softly. Do you need to respond tonight? A house of prayer, promise, and protection. How about you tonight? She'll play through another verse, several folks praying. Sing the chorus with me. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Well, what a great reminder. Only trust Him. Appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be part of our service. Would you look at that? It is not even six o'clock. That's that's. Uh, it took a miracle. I do need to meet with uh, the deacons very quickly. So, guys, if you would uh, make your way over there right away, we'll meet uh, first thing. And uh, if you're able to uh, stick around and and help to uh, move things for Thursday night, appreciate all the workers for Awana and all the help. Uh, what a great great job. And then uh, be praying for our young people, many of them taking finals or done with finals um, uh, tomorrow. Uh, Lord willing, we'll fly down to uh, uh, L.A. and and go see Cooper and Garrett. Uh, Garrett is completing a one-year certificate. And uh, Matt, so uh, I'm supposed to take them to supper tomorrow night. And so that'll be a a treat uh, for them. Uh, No, it'll be great to see them. But uh, pray for for safety and then... uh, proud of our young people very, very much so. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here. We ask for your favor, your blessing. Go with us through this week. And Lord, help us to trust you in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.